ready for the interview And if you get a cue live on a laptop Watch what I'm gonna do Welcome to the show Let them know we got a point of view Hey, yo, let's have a combo Say what you feel, be real That's the motto Real talk pronto Dr. DPHD, hit the intro Hold up, wait Gotta be social Network global A home for the locals Gotta be social Network global A home for the locals All right, Lauren, uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation, and uh, I believe we have someone in common, Swati, who we know. She's awesome, and she had a great episode, but thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, and yeah, Swati's been a real mentor to me, so uh, very special connection. Yeah, most definitely. I wanted to kick it off with, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of people in kind of this discipline of... Uh, spirituality and in talking about psychedelics and microdosing and all those things. But I really haven't talked to anyone about microdosing and performance and strength. I would love to get your take on this and what current research is telling us about this. Well, that's um, thank you for asking that question. And um, if I may, can I just switch us around a little bit? Because one of the things that we see a lot in microdo in, in performance has been mindfulness. Yeah. So I'm going to weave in mindfulness and psychedelics, but I also just want you and, and, and the listeners to know that however I share things, it's really through that lens of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And that's what I bring to the table, no matter what I do. So, um, I'd love to start out with, rather than talking about mindfulness, if we could just take one minute to do a little practice. Yeah, sure. How does that sound? Let's get it done. All right. Okay. I have my little bell. So sound is also a really nice invitation to just quiet our minds. So as you, if it's comfortable and safe to close your eyes, I invite you to do so. And as we just shut down from the outer world, it's an invitation to go into our inner world. And what is always there is our breath. So since we have our breath, it's one of the easiest ways to calm our mind down, to invite in more mindfulness, simply by watching the breath. So for today, for our purposes, we're not even trying to change anything. Just simply quieting the mind by watching the breath. Thoughts may come and go, but just simply bringing our mind back to anchor onto our breath. I invite you to do that for just a few moments. As you inhale and exhale, feeling the breath coming in and leaving as you exhale out. And just that simple, momentary inner landscape that we invite in brings that greater sense of mindfulness. So I, I invite you to just feel and be aware of the sensations and any changes from before we started. And taking another breath, another inhalation, exhalation in your own time, in your own way, as you begin to transition back out and into the conversation ahead. And then when it feels ready for you, gently opening your eyes and coming into this conversation with greater listening from the heart and deep listening from our speech as well. So, I invited that in because I think mindfulness has been a huge part of performance in sports performance in the last, would you say, decade or even more? Yeah, definitely even more. I mean, it was definitely a big part of my academic training back in the uh, late 90s. But I think it's just been more um, in the consciousness of people, especially in the last 10 years. So in your training, because I'm going to tie this all into psychedelics and what I've seen happening with the sports performance. So in, 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 in training, 
what were some of the benefits that were that were credited to practices in mindfulness? Uh, well, one of the things what well, we did a lot of progressive relaxation, uh, visualization, those things, and the benefits being you know really be able to really to take in the information from uh, our performance. I was a collegiate track and field athlete. And so I was able to really apply this information as I was taking these courses in my education and actually did some, as part of some of my studies, were like I was able to do questionnaires with my teammates and stuff like that about this. So I thought that was interesting and just about how you approach practice performance, how you approach performance, performance, competition for that. So the benefit of slowing down, really honing in on your performance, like thinking about it versus just thinking being just showing up, you know? So, so I hear a couple of things that are true for mindfulness and also true for microdosing. One is, um, one is that you're having greater mental clarity, well, greater relaxation. So it gives you greater space to think and be proactive. So the word I would say here is proactive. So that's one of the great benefits. You're thinking ahead rather than just being reactive to a situation. But also I hear you talking about your, how you're thinking, you, you use that word. So mental clarity, I'd like to give that as another benefit is that mental clarity that mindfulness gives us. So now tying it into psychedelics, what I see happening is that we're just at the, the edge of starting to look at how psychedelics, and, we're ta- and I'm talking about microdosing because obviously, so, well, let's, I'll define microdosing in the sense that it, it's not hallucinogenic. You are able to continue your daily tasks as normal. So that would mean that it would have to be a microdose if we're talking about psychedelics and sports. So having said that, um, it's, it's a, the, one of the most recent issues of Golf Digest came out with one of the PGA uh, Tour winners and his use of plant medicine. And he, he looked at, um, he's talking about mushrooms and ayahuasca. But he specifically talked about mental clarity and how when you're performing at that level, you know, you need to have the things that you just described. So that is definitely a benefit of microdosing. So um, we're beginning to see this uh, reported throughout the use of microdosing, but now particularly if we look at sports, if I think about Golf Digest, the first thing I think about is probably one of the most conservative audiences. Would you? I would totally agree, yes, for sure. <laughs> Yeah, which is interesting. And in the article, it's it's so that's and I think that speaks volumes. And in the article, it points to several golfers, uh, m- most of them not named. A few, yes, but that that and they're they are also um, showing the benefits through mental clarity. But also, I will say that in um, in sports in general, we see that uh, endurance is also. Um, a benefit, physical strength, um, agility, and again, there's another study uh, by this in this current year in 2023 by the National Institutes of Health. So once again, it's like the National Institutes of Health is studying professional athletes microdosing. Like that speaks volumes. Again, um, they looked at uh, field hockey players and they were looking at their um, at their speed and and agility. So we have some of these, like when you asked, are there, are there studies and reports? There are not that many, but they are starting to come out. And, and if you look around enough, there is a lot around um, sports performance. But I think that microdosing in general is something quite new, but it is getting a lot of attention mostly for anxiety, depression, PTSD. But microdosing is a very subtle, very mild way of enhancing our wellness. And it's really an ally. So for sports in particular, we have similar benefits of mental clarity. So we're talking about cognitive ability, especially under pressure. Um, but I'm a tennis player. I used to compete as a kid, but I still play. I played a few hours before we were our discussion. And I can say that when I started to microdose, I actually stopped wearing glasses um, for driving. And on the tennis court, my mental agility to volley was definitely increased because the, my reaction time was faster. Yeah. Um, so 
so definitely there is a link and I think that I hope that we're going to hear more and more about how microdosing can help in sports performance. And it might not be just professional athletes. We're like people like yeah, me who are just, athletes, yeah, you know, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. You know, what, what makes me think about this is, well, two things. One, uh, we talked a little bit about the difference between microdosing and, and more of your, your larger dose. But what is what would you consider to be the specific or range of dosing to be considered microdosing? That's one. And two, um, with this, do you would you ever see a, a time where maybe microdosing may be considered um, maybe an unfair or an illegal sports performance advantage by any professional organization? So let's deal with the first one first. Okay, the first one. So in general, there is a what you'll find on the internet is a reference to 10% of a recreational dose. I personally don't really like that because I think it it starts at a higher dose than I think necessary. So having said that, I think that a lot of people are more sensitive to um, anything, you know, medicines or foods or whatnot. So they might dose far below that. And in fact, quite a few of my clients will dose at 25 milligrams and, and that's fine, um, which is far below what you'll see on the internet. So, um, so having said that, uh, even though 10% of a recreational dose is what's considered a microdose, I would take that with a big grain of salt. Okay. Um, really, and, and also most people when they'll start to microdose, as I mentioned, I'll start people at 25 milligrams. Most people will start at 15 workup. We're talking about mushrooms, about magic mushrooms, yeah. psilocybin. But um, I think we're in a very fast a, a society that's geared to quick fixes and gratification. And so because I approach microdosing in a mindfulness way, I don't think there should be a hurry. <laughs> so it, it's like it's like when you're training with someone who wants to lose 50 pounds, you don't just go full on the first time, oh, right? It's like you start to get used to it. You come to the, just even coming to the gym and having that discipline is a big is a big change, right? So I approach microdosing the same way. Get to know the medicine, get to know the plant medicine or the fungi. And, and you build a relationship. And so then you can slowly build up to what feels right for you. But I started, an, I recommend starting at an extra low dose and even changing one's attitude about the approach and what microdosing is because I want to get away from, oh, it's a pill and I'll feel better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Actually, something popped in before the second part that I want to talk about, which is you talked about mm -hmm. maybe more in the golf like a more conservative, um, more approach that people have there. And I think what's interesting is sports is kind of the great equalizer for whatever affiliation because it's about performance. It's about winning. And if it's going to assist you or aid you into potentially being more successful winning, it crosses all different lines, party affiliations, ethnicities, whatever it is. So I think while it's interesting it's in golf, it doesn't surprise me. Because sports just seems to really break through that. That I love that because part of me was wondering how is that that and even for them for Golf Digest to publish the article um, is I think quite bold. But we're trying to normalize things, and I love what you just said. That that's really helpful to me because at the end of the day, you're right. It's just about showing up in our best way possible. And yeah. all the identities and the affiliations, just it, they, we get stuck in them, but they don't really matter at the end. Or they shouldn't, but they can. If people can take them on to such a degree that it does make a difference. But when we, when we can just be with ourselves and try to let all that, the rest go, we might be more open to what allies we have available to, to show up as our best selves. Yeah, and, and sports is, is one of the one of the last places really where it's essentially a meritocracy it's about performance and you're going, you get much more unity in sports when sports teams for that. And, you know, regardless of who you are, people just want, they want to perform, they want to win, you know, they want to win whatever tournament that's in whatever game it is. And so, but on the flip side is that often people will do almost anything to win so this leads back to <laughs> the discussion about kind of performance-enhancing drugs. And if you could ever see a time where maybe the ingestion of these drugs would be considered an, uh, 
too much of an advantage one way or another? Well, I mean, that is a really good question because at, at this point, it is not um, the anti-doping agency in the United States does, does not, not allow it. Yeah. Um, there could be a time where they might test for it and put it on their list. But um, I think that's a that's an area I don't know enough about because then you could say, well, having you know green juices boosted with lots of vitamins is right. that an enhancer? And is and are mushrooms that different? So you know where do you draw the line of what's a natural ingredient and what's not? I mean, it is a natural ingredient, so right. Um, you know where do you draw the line in what is going to be an extra advantage that's not fair? You know, yeah, it'll. I think that in the future there may be a controversy around this. I think so too. It won't, won't surprise me. I really think there's going to be an issue yeah. with it in the future at some point. It just because it's just so positive, and you see the momentum building and yeah. showing up yes. for this. And I, I think you're definitely going to see that this is going to be something that, um, regardless of what your opinion is on these things, if you're in sports, you want an advantage. Everyone wants an advantage. Since the beginning of sports, every person wants an advantage. And that if it gives you an advantage, most people are willing to try it. So. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, it's it's not against the anti-doping, but it's usually illegal where most people live. Right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. So it's really more of a legal issue than a than a sports issue. Yeah, no, mo- most definitely. <laughs> or sports, enha- like an enhancement issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's not. But it, but in some places it is legal. So then, where do you draw the line? Like I think it's going to be very interesting. And and like you're right that there's, it's this is going to be a new area for microdosing and psychedelics that we're going to just. This is just the beginning. Yes. And it, we're just going to see this continue to grow. And maybe in a year or two from now we'll have another discussion, and that would be really fun I would to love see. It. You know, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. we don't. I think that's part of what's so exciting is that. Even though people have been in the psychedelic landscape for several years, it's really very new. And there are a lot of voices and a lot of stakeholders, but it's just going to keep growing. It's, it's kind of like it mimics the mushroom itself. The mycelial and the roots, are they just keep connecting and growing. And we don't really know. It's part of the magic is we don't know how we're, it's going to manifest and where it, who it's going to reach. But as long as the benefits are healthy, you know, um, and people are feeling more themselves. And, you know, in the wellness industry, that's also what people want. They want to feel more whole. And I think that the uh, microdosing experience helps people feel that in an embodied way. That is a very, um, something that I find very um, wonderful that sometimes doesn't happen with a mindfulness practice um, for the general, for most people. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting that we're having this conversation because in um. In a few weeks, I'm having an interview on my podcast with uh, Dr. Angela Bryan, who's one of the leading researchers in cannabis and exercise. And uh, so we're going to talk a lot about that research. And I think for me, is like I want to, you know, I want to weave in these um, topics together uh, in my profession in exercise, fitness, wellness, with my passion for plant medicine and be kind of on the cutting edge for it. Because when you tell someone, oh, you microdosed, before you worked out, whatever plan, they think you're crazy. They're like, "How could you?" Because they think about you being extremely high or in a different state of mind. Like, exactly. That's what they think. They they don't understand. So I want to make sure people understand. There's there's a difference where we're talking about. There's value in all those situations, but I mean, you're not going to go out and do some strenuous exercise when you've taken a heroic dose of uh, <laughs> no. Uh, and I and you're you're pointing to a misconception, and words are powerful. Yes. And people don't understand microdosing, so they're assuming something that's completely not true. And exactly what you said was in the article that people think thought he was crazy. And we're talking, I'm talking about DJ Trahan, who was the PGA um, winner on two occasions, the tour winner. And he said, I love this quote. I, I wrote it down in case it came up today. He said, if they think you're crazy, he said that those people are not honoring it. They're not honoring the plant medicine for what it is. Which goes back to misconception. Yes. You know, it's an ally that we can use as an ally. And just like anything, be it caffeine or even exercise, people can overexercise and then it can't and then it's not healthy. It's like, you know, it's really our attitude and that's where I, I just that's why I feel that I want to be a voice for mindfulness within this area. Because if we approach things from that mindfulness place which you described so well, 
you know, relaxing, being more clear in your head, just knowing what you're doing, being proactive before you approach something, you know, then it's a whole different experience than just like, oh, I'm going to just try something. Yeah. You know? Well, I think so it's I too. Think most like, people are discerning, but a lot are not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I totally get that. And I think there's maybe this thing like I like take like meditation is that it's wonderful, but sometimes some people need a different option than meditation for their performance or they have a different thought about meditation. I think this whole thing is like people just have a lot of misconceptions about all of these different things because for the longest, this is all considered in the realm of uh, fringe information, uh, woo-woo, overly spiritual stuff. But if you really think about it, this is just my personal opinion that most people are very spiritual. They just haven't tapped into it. You know, it's a big part of your existence. It's just you're you're looking at there's something that you're reaching for that's part of you. Yeah. And some people express it in different versions of it, you know. I yeah, that's really well said and I think that um you know, when people talk about woohoo or this or that, you know, maybe again, they're adding conceptions and misconceptions or identities of people in society that they would say, "Oh, they're from this kind of place or that but I'm not like them." But you're right. Underneath it, we're all, most everybody looks for something spiritual. And even if it's not spiritual, yeah. I think most people, if you said, would you like to feel better or worse? They're going to say, I would like to feel better. Like <laughs> right. we want, you know, in that wellness as an industry, you know. So um, part of it is breaking down those barriers of misconception, which I hope I can be a voice for as well. And then approaching things in a way that people can hear voices like you're saying that you're bringing your passion and voices to just normalize it and then to hear people's stories because when you hear you know when you read an article in golf digest it's like that changes me and i'm assuming it's changing golfers around the world for sure for sure <laughs> um, because it just opens your mind to saying hmm but then the next question becomes how do i access this potential in a very safe way and perhaps legal or you you can see what like cannabis would be legal in most places well not in quite most places yeah um, it's growing people yeah. can have legal access so we're looking at those kinds of you know the situations but then then approaching it with education and inform being informed and and doing it safely most definitely you know i would love to have a little bit of a discussion about how you came into this part of your life, how this became such a large part of your existence. I think you kind of love people's origin stories, so I'd love to hear yours. Well, um, mine is is really, I, I did not really get involved with drugs when I was a child or psychedelics, even though it was all around me. I, my, I, from a very early age, um, I started meditating. My parents were meditators and that was really my, my inner life through meditation was something that was um, always a part of my life and my marriage. And, and in a way, the information I got from the traditions I followed was not to take psychedelics. So I know a lot of people got into psychedelics or tried psychedelics or got into mindfulness through psychedelics because of people like Ram Dass or Trungpa Rinpoche yeah. in the, in the yeah. meditation realms in the United States. I actually was left the U.S. when I was 16 for m the rest, most of my life, and I've just recently come back. Uh, I'm here in Vermont right now. And um, so really for me, meditation and mindfulness is really the, the center of my life. Having said that, I did do a macro journey a few years ago, and it was really difficult. It, it took many years for me to feel like the calling was right, the place was right, mm. the setting was right, the people that guided me um, was correct. So, but I, I did it really, and it, it, what it did is it affirmed my, my years of practice, the awareness that I had throughout the journey. It was really beautiful. And that just naturally brought me to microdosing. And now, what I, why I'm so so much of an advocate for this is that I think that microdosing gives so many of the same benefits as mindfulness. And I think that people use mindfulness as a 10 minute de-stressor 
But to go into those deep sense of real change, I think is very challenging, especially as AI comes on board, as everybody's on social media. I mean, the level of disconnection and stress is so high that I just don't think that those practices are going to be as accessible for those purposes. And when I started microdosing, it was like an instantaneous. Yeah. I worked 40 or 50 years to get like this. And with a microdose regimen, I'm already tapping into that inner wellness of who I am. You know, that sense of greater peace, that sense of greater relaxation, that sense of openness and, and more more tolerance, but just being a nicer person, you know, and all those things. So to me, that was like a wow. Like if you can be nicer to your kids or not get it, you know, it takes that much longer to have something trigger you. It's because there's this easier way of being. There's a greater ease. That's mindfulness, but that takes a lot of work. The microdosing, it's a shortcut. But if it's done again, if it's done with that mindfulness, with the reverence, with the respect, it becomes an ally to your life. And so I believe that we need these allies in this quick-paced world of such disconnection. Um, so um, I'm a real. So that that's the short of. I don't know if that was a short version, but that is how the <laughs> mindfulness brought me right into microdosing because the benefits are so complementary. I, you know, I feel like these stories are so amazing. I mean, I, I came to this pretty late myself in my late 30s. And um, it was kind of like you said, I, I felt like I had a lot of good things I was doing to try to be a good person. And, you know, I felt very grounded by my education. It was a lot of psychology and uh, different theories and stuff. And then as soon as I did my first big dose and did some microdose, I was like, oh, this felt like a, a hack. Like I could hack a biohack, <laughs> like I could actually like this, like immediate benefit um, to become nicer, let things roll off of me much quicker. And then, you know, integrating it over time, because I was just like, listen, it's it's not cutting it for me to just meditate or to just, you know, do like a yoga class. I needed something else with that. And uh, once I experienced that, it be, it was like pretty immediate for me. And then really talking about those things, integrating it, and then having another large experience I had last year, last summer with some friends of mine. It was just more clarity. It's just like it's like going through a wormhole. Mm -hmm. It's like you basically take it and you just go, <laughs> let's go right through space here. Let's cut through it. You know, it's yeah. it's the warp drive <laughs> for that. Yeah, I mean, and, and the macro and the micro have very different purposes. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're complementary, and one can easily lead to the other. But there's an intention behind it. But with a macro dose, you might go beyond your ordinary states of being. But even what you're describing with a micro dose, it kind of, if you look at the lens, there's a there, the lens through Ayurved and Hindu philosophy is the lens of the koshas, which are sheaths. So there are five sheaths of our body. And in a way, so one of them is our physical, our breath and energetic body. But another one is our emotional body. The other one is like really what we what we pick up in our culture. It's called the Vijnaya Maya Kosha. It's we, we pick up on like who we are, our identity, what we're told to be by our family, by our society. And in a way, we most people, I would say, live in that. And when we can get a little yeah. bit beyond, which we talked about before, of just like who you are and and tuning in and those things can kind of dissipate a bit we all just want to be peaceful and at ease and be nice <laughs> and connect that's exactly connection right. is a big piece of it too so yeah um it it's it has so much potential and it's interesting that you felt it right away and some people like i say with at least with my clients i try to start out really slowly and usually people will feel something within a week or two and every once in a while not until we kind of move up to a dose that's really suitable but um but we're talking about within a month yeah. a month and a half max but usually within just a few weeks and to feel like your life can have an ally to make you feel more grounded in who you truly are I don't know that many things that can do that so easily. That's exactly right. I mean, I, I was after my first big experience, 
I got massively into gardening, and I'm still a very passionate gardener. And literally, I don't think I would have ever done that if I hadn't uh, had psychedelics. I had zero, I'm talking zero interest in this. And zero <laughs> interest so in nature. I love it. Li literally zero interest. I'm talking bottom of my shoe interest. And immediately after, <laughs> I wanted to garden so bad. And every year since then, I've, I have a massive garden. I love putting my hands oh. into the ground. And I attribute that literally to my psychedelic experience. It literally turned on a switch like you like gardening now. Well, but also what you're speaking to is our connection to nature. Yeah. And, and you know, it has been said that, you know, if you, if you have a deeper connection to nature, you're going to care more about our environment and the world and our future. So, you know, it's been said that, you know, psychedelics can save the world. And, you know, that's a big statement. But at the end of the day, your experience is so powerful. And, and I'd say that almost everybody I talk to, there's this deeper connection to nature. And uh, it's, just, it's, really, it's really remarkable. It is remarkable. Yeah. It's, um, but I have a astounding. question for you. When you said that um, when you were microdosing, you know, the meditation, the yoga, when you started to microdose and then meditated or did some yoga, did it have a different flavor to it? A little bit. Or does it have a different flavor? Yeah, a little bit. It it did, it does. Um, but I I found the most profound effect for me has been the, the pretty large dose uh, that I do infrequently. Mm -hmm. I really take very many mm -hmm. years between. I need to spend time mm -hmm. like processing mm -hmm. it. And it's so jarring. Yes. It's so jarring. I, I can't I don't know how people do it regularly. Like I don't understand that. Like I'm <laughs> like, I need time, you know. Well, I, um, my experience is more like yours in that, you know, there's so much to integrate and it's like going on a retreat. I don't go on month long retreats that often for meditation. They're very, very powerful, but they're far and few between because you're going so, so deep and then you want to bring that out into the world. So I'd say it's, it's a similar, similar process. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, I just think mm -hmm. it's, um. If you, I think one of the things is we're struggling with is just people who have resistance to it, and I'm curious about your feedback on this. For me, it's just a massive level of um, prior education that has been misleading, um, and just you know, kind of being in a silo, being around other people who would like share this negative association uh, with it for that. Well, I I really agree with you, and but I also think that a lot of it is like the cultural overlay of. Yeah. It's not legal. You can get in trouble. I think that the Western society, especially North America, is quite fear-based and litigious. So, you know, you just, again, that's that Vijnaya Maya Kosha. You just take all that in and you're in an environment in which it's not a friendly place to be. But it's a sea of change. And I will say that I feel that because of my older age status, that I want to be an advocate and a spokesperson in a way that I can expose myself that maybe younger people who have young children or, you know, don't want to lose a job might not feel as comfortable speaking out because I do know people need to be careful to protect what they, they feel they need to protect within, within the legalities and the cultural situation. So, um, you know, I feel that, yeah, in a way I'm like a little bit of an activist in that I want to have that voice that other people can't have. I mean, that's wonderful. Yeah, no, those are valid points because, you know, there is fear of, um, I don't, I don't want to say retaliation, just rejection. And so oh, you're into this thing that's illegal. We can't have you be a part of this organization. And you're coming up in life. You know, you don't want to be pushed backwards, because, you know. So, you know, there's a push and pull uh, with that. But I want to yeah. say, I want to ask, like, where, what's the best case scenario? What, what would you like to see? in terms of where this is headed? Well, certainly normalizing things. I think that it's not going to be a really, that's, I've not really had that question put to me or thought about it because, but what I do see is that it's not going to be, it's going to be this. I think it's going to be a lot of things because people, some people want it medicalized, which means they, they're pushing for legalization. So for legalization, for sure, it's going to be benefit people with PTSD, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. You know, it's going to benefit those people. But there are a lot of people like 
what we're talking about is like people like you and me who feel the benefit in our daily lives, but I don't, I don't have a, a diagnosed mental health medical yeah. issue that would allow me access. And then you have a lot of people that feel that it should stay with the indigenous communities from which it has come from. So I think that you're going to have, there's so many voices and so many places. So what I see happening is that it's just going to, it's a bit messy, but it's going to keep growing. And where it's all going to land is going to look very different in many different places. But my biggest hope, back to your question, is that however people access what they access, they do it through that lens of mindfulness, that they have that mindfulness-based approach and that that gets integrated into however they have access in whichever kind of form or situation, um, that it's done reverently, it's done with discernment, it's done safely, and um, and that it, it brings greater wellness to people through through their own sense of being grounded in who they are. And that means feeling more at ease, feeling more love and compassion, being having deeper wisdom about choices they make connected to people themselves and nature. So however we get there, that's what I hope the outcomes become. Yeah, I love that. Actually, I, I've been a big proponent for um, these substances just for quote-unquote well people, not diagnosed with things. And I think Sometimes yeah. we have this stigma that well people, or however you want to put that, whatever is correct, uh, shouldn't be doing these things because you're fine. But people have always mm -hmm. been searching for deeper things throughout history of humanity. Yes. And just because you don't have a diagnosis yeah. of something doesn't mean you can't have a great benefit from this. And yes. so, you know, I think always like the way to get into the door has been through a medical based approach. And and that you know, that's I get that, uh, but it doesn't mean that it's not uh, really beneficial for people who don't have uh, medical-based uh, uh, approach. I think it. James Fadiman had a quote. It's something like this. It's like it's also for well people to be better. Yeah. You know, like yeah, and also that speaks to the decriminalization versus legalization because when it's something is decriminalized, even though it's still illegal, people, everyone has access. Right. So well people have access. However, there is that risk that people who are not well might access it in a way that's not going to be beneficial to them. So, you know, it's, it's happening on all different fronts. But I agree. I, I would hope that um, I hope that everybody can have an access that is safe for them, you know, for yeah. whatever their 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 intention is. Yeah. yeah, most definitely. I think a lot of also part of the resistance I, when when somebody says, "Oh, I don't know if I, if that's good or not for you, or whatever," often just haven't done it. They haven't had any experience with it, you know. And so it's like I'm more likely to take that advice from someone who's like, "Yeah, I've, I've had a maybe a negative experience with it, so I'm not sure if it's always positive." That's just kind of like saying. I don't like guacamole. Have you ever tried it? No, I just don't like it. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's crazy to say. Right. However, someone might have guacamole that has tons of uh, hot sauce and they love hot sauce and they think that's the best thing in the world. And someone might be allergic to chili peppers right. and say, like, have an allergic reaction. So even the guacamole might be good for some and not for others because I hear people yeah. tell me about their anecdotally, people will tell me their experiences. And there, some of them are not so great, but it's because they haven't done it safely. They haven't had discernment. They didn't mm -hmm. have intention. They didn't know what they were taking, the dose they were taking, the situation they were set and setting. You know, so um, it's also so so. It's then that gets to which voices. So I'm really glad that you're going to try to give more voice to this because it's which voices yeah. are going to be heard so that it can be safe. I think Oregon is going. You know, they're. I think they're trying to be so careful so that they will always have yeah. safe. Case. You know, nothing cannot be safe. Um, right. I've I've heard someone in the who who works in who is an authorized person to train has said that you know that's her take on it and you know it makes sense. You know, but um, hopefully you know we're we're it's just like I say I think we're still in the beginning of this and in the next ten years it's going to be so fascinating to see how it all unfolds. And what voices are I feel are like heard. there's, yeah, 
yeah, what voices are heard. That's that's what I hear a lot from people is who are the voices leading the charge and you have to be careful about who's, you know, prominent voices, not prominent voices, but anything that's in its infancy, it's rocky. It's a little, you know, it's shaky. Yeah. You know, you're starting something and this is something that it's not like it's the beginning. Like there's prior yeah. a lot of prior research to this from back in the 50s, 60s. It's kind of a rebirth of it to the yeah. to the consciousness of people. And not that's the same thing, but like in my business, we've only been formalized since essentially the 90s, uh, fitness and wellness professionals. Yeah. So we're, we're also in our infancy. And when you're in your infancy, you got a lot of voices and a lot of comp competing voices um, and a lot of different issues. And so it's just going to take some time. But these, these conversations, I think, are important, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and also, uh, you know, it came just listening to you. It is in its infancy, even though it's been around for a while. But in a way, there's this westernization of psychedelics that's happening. And yeah. it's becoming part of how our society naturally looks at things. And I think there are some voices that are very strong of trying to just like with cannabis is let's look at things differently. Yeah. Um, and, and we know the benefits we know, but we also know the, the, you know, some of the, some of the not so good things that have happened. So, you know, I think that, um, on the heels of cannabis, I think that is also something that's the indicator for where this is going. And it'll be interesting because it's not just cannabis. We're talking about many different, um, plant medicines, earth, what I call sacred earth medicine, because technically, biologically, fungi is not a plant, but also synthetic psychedelics. And I think that they all have their place. Uh, so it'll be really interesting where it all goes. Yeah. I definitely think it'd be really interesting uh, where it goes. And I think it's one of the things I think, like you talked about uh, being older and being an advocate. The other part is like, I feel like for myself, I, I like to get out there and put myself out there as someone who uses these substances and is also responsible, has been successful, both personally and professionally, to be a face of success with this. Because so much of the past of this has been portraying people who don't have their life together, they're not getting things done. That's the marketing. It's like, oh, you just you, your life must be a mess if you're doing this and stuff. It's like, let's change this narrative. There's plenty of people like myself who are doing just fine. And that's part of changing the narrative is saying, like, let me get out there and tell it. Like, when I tell people in my business about my use of this, I think they think I'm crazy because it doesn't seem in their mind to align with health and wellness and fitness. But I challenge that. They also, every person I talk to in my business about this, they've never done it either. So they have no idea. They just have not been exposed well, to it, so I expose them. Wow. Well, that's I like I congratulate you for your courage and boldness, because and I just love what you said. It's like we need the face of wellness, and just yeah, and even like I wasn't seeking something. I wasn't trying to get better. It just felt like a more embodied experience for me, and and I also see how it's just dramatically changing the lives of people around me, dramatically. With such a little tiny bit, I'm talking about yeah. less than 100 milligrams and not even every day, you know, it's like it just becomes a part of it. So I, I thank you for being that voice because we need to multiply that. Can I ask you, so what age group in general are your clients, like the people you speak to and say that you're crazy, 20, 30, 40 year olds? I think all of the above, you know, I just... <laughs> Yeah. It's it's literally every age group. And I think they're taken aback that yeah. someone like myself would participate in these things. And it's just because they're not used to it. They're not, they actually don't even know anyone that's ever done it. Or they have had a very bad experience themselves. But just like you said, because they didn't dose properly, they did it like to party or something. And, or, you know, the famous thing is, oh, I ate this big cookie or whatever. And you don't, you don't even know what's in it. Like it's crazy stuff. I'm like, well, there's an intentionality. Well, part here. of what, yes, there's a lack of intentionality. But also I think that um, 
Well, I'll give you an antidote that, so I'm coming out with a book. It just went to print today. So I'm very excited. Today's like a very congratulatory day because it t- took a lot to get this far. Thank you. But a lot of the, um, so I have written books before around, always around, well, not always, but usually around mindfulness for teachers, for children and, um, and Tibetan tales with, with, with basically, um, Buddhist, uh, concepts. So I've been doing that, but I, but when I, based on what I was sharing with my story, I was compelled to share this voice of mindfulness around microdosing. So I wrote a book called Mindful Microdosing, a guidebook and journal. It's on Amazon, but it's, it's not quite, it's not available quite yet, but will be probably, hopefully by next week for um, pre-order. But why I want to share this was I love writing the book. I felt really good about it, but I had quite a few people tell me that I needed to put some charts and some reference things so that people would know how to microdose. And I was mm-hmm. really resisting it because I felt that it was going to be too linear. And it's like, you can, you can find that stuff on the internet if you want to do that. So I wanted, to, I really had to dig deep to say, well, wait, if I have these reference charts, how can I do it in a mindful way? But uh, I was speaking with the co-founder of the Microdosing Institute in the Netherlands. I just finished a, almost a full year with them training as one of the first microdosing coaches programs that they had. Uh, just an amazing program, amazing group of people. So Hakobin van Wildert van was, we had a discussion and she really helped me understand that you, the, the idea of harm reduction is very big in the psychedelic space. But she helped me understand that lack of information or the, let me put it a different way, the need for information and getting information out is harm reduction. So without having that information, people are going to do things that aren't good for them. They're going to take a high dose. They're not going to understand the sentence setting. And so I hope that in a way, there are things out there that you can reference, but I felt like putting this guidebook and journal out and doing it through a mindfulness-based approach was my way of helping a lot of those people that don't know what they're doing have a very quick reference, but to go with it through intention, through discernment, you know, to think about things. Like you said, when you were doing the mindfulness practices and when you were studying, before you go out, you've already got this understanding of how you're going to approach something. So um, having that information out there, I think... um, is going to help. And since we are still in the beginning of this, I think there's going to be so much more information. And then you said something else about, you know, people don't know other people who've microdosed, let's say, or have done psychedelics. And I think that's a general cultural um, element that we can see throughout time in history is people are always fearful of what they don't know. Yep. So the more they hear those stories, the more they have contact with other people and can see how people's lives have been com- really either completely transformed or just so much better, even though they were already well. So I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, and I'm, I'm, and I hope that some of those people that say, you know, that are kind of taken aback when you share um, who you are and, and, and your process, you know, that, Hopefully that will dissipate over time quickly, I hope, because the benefits are so great and it, and it can be done safely. And we need those. We need, I think, in this day and age, you know, people are struggling on so many levels and not where it's, it's a diagnostic, but just to feel better managing all the stress that we have around us in this very modern, postmodern world. Most definitely. And the world is not going to become less modern. People are not trying to go backwards. You know, it's going to keep technological advancements, going to keep moving forward. We have always reached for the highest peak. What's out in space? We are searchers. We're explorers. And we create things. And often, too, for convenience or accomplishment. So the world's going to get busier. And you're going to need things to help you combat an ever-growing, more busy society globally for that. I just, I see this as uh, a really important resource for the future. And I see myself as a, as a, as, as, as a leader in my profession 
uh, talking about this topic, which I'm, I'm no expert in. I just know a lot of people in it of bringing these two things together and like, don't be don't let fear keep you from doing something responsibly that could literally change the landscape of your existence as a fitness professional or that that that's my goal with it. yeah and then and then part of it is to point them in the way where they can get that information or have mm-hmm. that guidance so that if they you know just give it a try in a safe way and and hopefully you know that will be more available more accessible to anybody that yeah. wants that you know but i think that's an important thing is not to necessarily do it alone yeah um to uh, now I'm, I'm ta- obviously for macrodosing, but I'm also talking about microdosing is, you know, there really is a process. There's, you wouldn't go and just start training for, well, you know, like you help train people. Like, of course. You under, you understand, you live the, the why it's important to have that guidance and support and yeah. to have someone help, you know, lead the way or, or shed light on something. And it's not any different with microdosing. You know, so um, I think that those support networks are growing and uh, access to information is also growing. And so I hope that I I don't see how it can't be any different, that people are going to hear these great stories and then say, oh, yeah, just like mindfulness was 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, and then now it's become like, okay, a thing that doesn't have that maybe that richness that it had originally. You know, I I hope I I see it kind of a, a similar trajectory. Yeah, I think you're so right, Lauren. Um, we're about end of our time here. Uh, this has been very enlightening, as usual, when I talk to people about this. It's just uh, another excellent opportunity to get this information out to people. And speaking of information, how could people get more of your information to learn about your work? Oh, thank you. I do have a website. It's my name, um, laurenaldifer.com. And then on Instagram, I'm lauren.aldifer. And then um, on my website, there is a link to the book um, on Amazon. It will be available probably another week. Uh, Mindful Microdosing, a guidebook and journal. So those are, and LinkedIn, Lauren Aldifer as well. And uh, yeah, and I hope to just keep having my voice also. I love what you said, like your voice, just, you know, normal people going about their lives, but also, you know, you as a leader in your, your profession and just being able to have that voice and hear that voice, I think is so powerful. So thank you, Darian. It's been a really fun conversation with you and congratulations for all you're doing. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Lauren. And uh, we'll certainly be talking again, but thank you so much. Thank you. All right, we're done.